Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to your book. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. I am so excited to tell you that we're about to bring you a conversation with a guest I have most longed to have on the podcast. It's one of my favourite writers of all time, the queen of my literary source-loving heart. It's Jilly Cooper. Firstly, I'd love to tell you about how you can make 2024 the year you write your novel. My creative fiction course, Write Like a Reader, is back in the new year. I'll be teaching five weekly sessions over Zoom, sharing everything I know about writing and everything I've learned from interviewing hundreds of top authors on this podcast. Most importantly, I'll be showing you how much you already know. I believe that if you love books, you can write one. Whether you've always dreamed of getting started or if you're a seasoned writer looking to boost your morale and enrich your knowledge, I would love to work with you. This course has been designed to make you feel confident and excited about your writing. Email creativeconfidenceclinic at gmail.com for more information. You can also just hang out with me at the Creative Confidence Clinic. This is a social space where I share essays, advice, book recommendations and masterclasses with industry experts. We've got a fantastic session coming up on Sunday the 17th with superstar creative coach Cheryl Garrett. We're over at creativeconfidenceclinic.substack.com. This space is a gorgeous alternative to other kinds of social media. It's a lovely community filled with friendly writers and readers. Also, I'd love to invite you to a book launch. We'll be launching Limelight in paperback at The Yard in Hampshire on the 7th of February, where I'll be in conversation with the fabulous Rebecca Fletcher. This is going to be such a good night. Go to theyardhampshire.co.uk slash events for tickets. And if you'd like a signed, dedicated copy of any of my books including Limelight, Careering and Insatiable, you can order one from themargatebookshop.com. Just write down the dedication you'd like on their contact page. They can deliver across the UK. Now to Jilly. As a reader and a writer, I owe this woman the most tremendous debt. Her novels have been bringing me joy, laughter and uh, horniness for my entire adult reading life. I couldn't write if I didn't read her. We talked about marriage advice, poetry, the fictional men we fancy, and the pros and cons of the jumpsuit. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Uh, Can I ask you one thing? Are you you married at the moment? I am married at the moment, yes. I love that at the moment. No, but that lovely man who who turns up in your life at the end of... Um, that one, no, this this one, isn't it? Yes, that is producer Dale, who's also the producer of this podcast. He's here in the room right now, yes. He sounds so nice. The way you sort of describe falling in love with him and sort of, you know, the sort of security and sweetness, it's just terribly good. How That's long have you been together now? Oh, my. We got married in 2015. 11 years. Nearly 12. 11 years? Yes. That isn't anything, is it? What is 10? I can't remember what 10 years is. It's not silver and things. Like we should know. Fawn would be good. Fawn would be fornication, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
And that's uh, one of, because um, I really, really love your book, um, How to Stay Married, which I think I read before I got married. And, and I'm going to paraphrase this horribly, but there's a line of yours I love, which is, um, as long as you amuse your husband in bed, no one's going to mind about the mountain of dust under it. Oh, that was very good. Yes, well, that was ve- that was that was very good. I don't think it's strictly true, but the other thing was um, marriage is kept alive by creaking bed springs from laughter rather than sex. So I said, I don't think that's true. I said all sorts of silly things. I love that because there's a lovely thing you say as well about um, friendship is the centre of the Newbury fruit of marriage. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> But can I start by asking you about love stories? Um, what I love about your heroines, especially um, Imogen and Harriet, who are my favourites. And in my novel, Careering, the heroines are Imogen and Harriet, and they are both named for your Imogen and your Harriet. And Imogen and Harriet love reading, and they're such romantics. And I get the impression that you loved love stories and loved romance as a young reader and an early reader. And I'd love to hear about some of the love stories that really have captured your imagination. Well, uh, Georgia Hare, we all, all at school, we just all fought over Georgia Hare. And the Marquis of Vidal, and they were all sort of aristocratic and arrogant and sort of beastly until about the last page when they suddenly became very nice and very haughty, like Mr Darcy. Or Rupert Campbell Black. Or Rupert Campbell, a bit, yes, but but but, but also um, Mr Darcy and, and what was the other? Of course, we already Jane Austen was Mr Darcy, obviously, and, and Mr Knightley, who was like this, what's them? And what else did we read? Um, we read. I mean, I I love, I love I love Nancy Mitford, absolutely dazzling. The Pursuit of Love, and that was the most. We all looked. We were middle at school. One just looked for heavenly heroes, and one and Fabrice. Do you remember Fabrice? Oh my goodness, yes. And he just she was she was sitting in Paris in the pouring rain without any money, and he suddenly turned up and took her home and found her a hotel and took her out to lunch the next day. And, on they went. It was, I mean, it was so romantic, that, wasn't it? All the time, I think of the little, the mistress flat that Fabrice sets her up in. And I think Lord Merlin and Uncle Davy come to visit. And they talk about the fashion for sort of mistresses. And she's got like every, all the furniture is made of glass and it has goldfish swimming in it, which I still think is the last word in glamour. <laughs> yes. no, he was, Fabrice was a sort of hero, wasn't he? And then... Um, who else did we read? Um, Barbara, Barbara Pym, but not, not so much for romance. Did you, did you like Barbara Pym? Yes, I think she's very funny. She's wonderful, isn't she? She's absolutely wonderful. And I can see that in your looking, always looking at people and observing and being, I think to be a really good social satirist, you've got to really care about people and be interested in them. I, I think so, yes. I mean, I mean, I find, yes, you have got to have a jolly good look, really, because at the moment, living in the depth of the country, there's not going to be people to have a jolly good look at this. <laughs> No, I'm just trying to think of great romantic writers. Um, and poetry, one read poetry the whole time. That's what one read when one was in love or out of love because only in poetry would capture, you know what I mean, capture the sort of ecstasy when you were happy and then the um, comfort and the sadness when you were, when you were sad. So I, I, did you read a lot of poetry? I do love poetry, but I think a lot of the poems that I know and love, I've discovered through reading your books, Helen, um, I can't remember her. Helen, who ends up um, marrying... Um, Malise, Malise. Malise. She was quite literary, wasn't she? I mean, she did put Rupert down quite a lot, didn't she? She did, but I did love it when, because I loved Lorca, and she used to quote Lorca, I think. And what's that beautiful line? Who wrote, who would have thought my shriveled heart could have recovered greenness? I know that from... That's, that's, that's Tackle again, isn't it? That's um, Crab, is it, or somebody like that? 
Um, I, I don't know it. I've got Oxford Quote Book, which is my f- best book. <laughs> Who could have thought my shriveled heart could have recover greenness? And I wonder if that's why Ranaldini is such a wicked and successful seducer, because he, he's he got all this poetry at his fingertips. That's He was very not... good in bed, too. <laughs> Excellent in bed. <laughs> you do write a very good, very sexy villain, like, you know, Tony Badgingham. Awful, but you do fancy him a bit. And I did you fancy Ranaldini a bit too? Tony Baddingham was Tony Baddingham was um, horrid, horrid and, and mean. I'm just trying to think. There's, there's, there's a horrid one in in the um, Mount, um, that awful Jean that comes along because he thinks Rupert oh. deprived him of his, his inheritance two hundred years before, and he's he's vile because he tries to take he wrecks his horses and does terrible things with his horses. I mean, cruelty to animals is much worse to cruelty to humans. I always think. <laughs> That really worries me. And he was beastly, and he was tried to take Taggy off, and he tried to murder Rupert. He was he was the nastiest Jean. Jean. He was the nastiest one I think I've ever had. Beastly. I wonder if they're as much fun to write as they are to read, because it is, I think, quite good fun, isn't it, to read something or read a book and really hate a character. In um, Richard Osman's first book, The Thursday Murder Club, I don't want to give too much away, but I imagine everyone in the world has read it by now. The first person to get bumped off. I hated him so much that I felt like, come back so I can hate you more. I don't, you can't kill him off now. That's excellent. That's excellent. I'm just trying to think, who are the hatred ones? I remember just thinking Middlemarch, that awful, <laughs> do you remember Middlemarch? That, that, um, that horrible chasm, the horrible man who um, married poor Dorothea, do you remember? Do you know that I'm so ashamed of this, Jilly? I have not yet read Middlemarch. And it's actually always around Christmas, around this time of year, where I think, well, this is, this is the time. And I wonder if I might um, listen to it, because people say as well that it's really funny. Oh, Middlemarch was lovely, but what is meant? Casamorn is sort of this awful man she gets bullied into marrying. And then when, when, when she, he's in love, she's in, falls in love with his nephew, Will Ladislaw, who's absolutely adorable and very attractive, very young. And, and the thing is, Casamorn's so cross about this that in his will, he says she can't have any of his money if she marries Ladislaw. And so it's so sweet at the end. I must tell you the story, but they just say, oh, oh, it doesn't matter being poor because we love each other. We've got enough to live on. It's so sweet. It's a lovely, lovely book, Mr. March. It's really good. I'm going to read it. It's going to be my, my December book. I'm going to send you a copy. <laughs> That's incredibly kind. Um, are there any books that you always like to read or revisit in the winter or any, you know, not necessarily recently even, but books that you've, you've reread in brought you comfort during particular times this is my favorite book favorite book in the entire world who read this a dog day a dog day and it's about a, a naughty dog a sweet lovely lovely pictures and it was written uh, lovely pictures and you sorry this is of course it's book <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's absolutely sweet that there are lovely pictures but i'm not going to show you them you can't see them <laughs> Walter Emanuel picture, but Cecil Alden, who was a wonderful illustrator. And it's just with this naughty puppy that sort of messes around and has a wonderful time. It's his day, and um, he irritates the cats, and he runs across people, and he, there's a picture of him here. Um, upstairs, past the drawing room, door of old Mrs Brown's bedroom, open invitingly, I entered. Never been in before, nothing much worth having. 
ate a few flowers out of a bonnet and he takes <laughs> tears all the flowers off her hat. It's a charming book. It's called Dog Day and everybody must read it. It's a perfect present to give for Christmas. A Dog Day. That looks beautiful. Is that a book that you read in your childhood or have you recently found it? A bit later, I think. When, but, but, but I think, I can't remember when it was then. It's a bit later, but I think it was given to me by Leo much later, but it's heaven. So everybody everybody who loves dogs, which I do. And, and what did you, as a child, I remember, I liked Beatrix Potter, didn't you? Oh, yeah, they're just beautiful, aren't they? Those illustrations. I still remember um, Jeremy, is it Jeremy Kingfisher? Is he a taupe? He li- there's very, lots of very watery passages. Jeremy um, King, wonderful. But the which... Taylor of Gloucester was charming too, and, and, and the lovely one was... The tale of Peter Rabbit. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> and Mrs. Rabbit, <laughs> Mrs. Rabbit said to her, Peter Rabbit, don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. I said, because she said, because your father suffered an accident when he went there. Mrs. McGregor put him in a pie. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite intense, isn't it, for for children to have that that legacy? I wonder as well how many of us grow up, you know, dreaming about bad boys because of Peter Rabbit. <laughs> He's the first. And Tom Kitten was sweet too. Tom Kitten, Tom Kitten, always, always, he's always been tied into those very, very tight blue, you know, um, waistcoats. So he sort of always ate too much. Tom Kitten was fat, so one liked Tom Kitten because he was a pig. <laughs> so what else was childhood things? Um, Roger Kipling, Heaven. Is that the Just So stories? Yes, Just So stories and the, the the cat that walked by himself and things. Oh, those were the ones, weren't they? Um, the wonderful things. Just, just, what's, I was trying to think, Roger Kipling, and then Black Beauty was wonderful, wasn't it? And oh. um, my granny was wonderful. Do you know about my granny? Tell me about your granny. My granny loved reading. And she was very, very beautiful, but she was a vicar's wife, and she always used to read all the time with these novels, and it sort of in Austin, whatever it was. But she always used to pretend, she, every time anybody came into the room, she used to pick up a, a, a sort of jersey or a pair of combinations and pretend she, put them over the book and pretend she was sewing. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a wonderful occasion. Um, well, I must get this right. Um, when um, my mum, my, my, they, they had, had, added the names of the cats to, to my mother's, granny's prayer list. And so she exhorted the mother's union all to pray for raggedy bones and mewkins. <laughs> My mother read it. My mother read and read and read and read and read. And so we all read as a family. I mean, did you? Did your mother read? Yes. Um, my parents still are big readers. And that's been a lovely thing, I think, about my relationship with them, I suppose, as an adult child, is that we often share books and recommend books to each other. My dad loves William Boyd, and I've been reading a lot of William Boyd. And um, I read Any Human Heart, and my dad said, you must read this, you must. And to be honest, I thought... This looks like a boy's book. It looked quite big and quite off-putting. and quite, You know, the sort of, that mix of kind of, oh, this looks like a combination of a Booker Prize book and an airport book, and I don't like either of them. And then I spent three days just gripped and riveted, and there was just something about that voice. Have you read it? No, no, I haven't read William Boyd, which is a good one. I think any human heart, it takes you to places that you don't expect to go. And it's presented as a, a memoir or these sort of these found diaries. It's just about a man's life. But he has so much, there are so many highs and lows. And it's all really about what is happening in the 20th century as a sort of backdrop to his life. But it's it doesn't ever feel laboured. It feels very natural the way he kind of interacts with it. Like, you know, um, do you read ever many uh, Persephone books? the publisher in Bath. Yes, I do. I'm just trying to think. 
I do, I do, I do. Um, I caught my mind complete blanket. I think what they, they re, I think they reissued um, E. M. Delafield's. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! That's look. <gasps> and you've got her there, the diary of a provincial lady. Introduced by oh, Shirley Cooper. I wrote, and the wrote, oh. I wrote the forward. So this is this is this is Virago. It was before it came to Persephone. This is the most wonderful, wonderful book. Who read it? I love Diary of the Provincial Lady. Isn't she wonderful? Isn't she? I mean, she's, <laughs> what I love about her, she's just she's so she died about fifty-three too. Is that sad? It's no age, is it? No, absolutely no age at all. It's such a funny book. It's a, 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 a love her husband. She had a rather nice, sort of, well, quite dull husband, didn't she? And, and, and she used to have crushes on people. And all her children were wonderful, all her animals, everything. She, sort of, she, she negotiated all the people around her. It's a brilliant book, isn't it? And who is that fabulous woman? Because there are all there are so many people she mentions and you almost want to have their... There's a very glamorous woman who's always sort of in peril. And she's all, and I think perhaps I think she turns up a lot in the war one, and she's always sort of running away from a cocktail party, and she's got to stay at the flat for two days, or, and there's some always some madness that she can never really get to the bottom of. <laughs> is it Lady Boxen? Is Lady Box the sort of bossy boots in this? Was that? Mm. Is it Lady Box as well? Oh, she goes to visit Lady Box, but she's always praying that she's not in. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Yes, that's right. And it's... Her, her husband, when he's not snoozing behind the times, does everything grumbling. Reluctant. I love all the husbands in that. The husbands, in Barbara Pym, the husbands always complaining that they work very hard and they actually they're, they're exhausted. And they, they have competitions to be the most exhausted one, don't they? <laughs> but, but also, that, that, that's wonderful, that Diary of Provincial Lady. God, it's funny. It's so funny and so much fun. Everybody must read that. Everybody must read Nancy Mitford. Everybody must read... Um, yes, Anthony Pole. Oh, Anthony Pole's wonderful. Oh, do you know, I have, I think I got to the third one. I'm very behind in my Anthony Pole. And I got a bit confused and distracted about Widmerpool suddenly becoming a bit of a womaniser. And there was a bit where, there was a very long bit I got stuck on about giving out communist pamphlets. Um, but I really want to get back on that, the Anthony Pole horse. Yes, well, it's better. I mean, the, the first one, uh, question of upbringing, is absolutely, is absolutely wonderful. Uh, wonderful question of upbringing. And I'm, when those school boys were at school, and when, when some, some ca- captain of the, the, I think it's the cricket team, throws a banana and he hits with my foot in the face. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> Looks slavish adoration because the cap, c- captain of cricket comes over and sort of apologises, and Woodman is so so excited. And I remember Temper after this, Woodman is so wet you could shoot snipe off him. <laughs> <laughs> It was terrific character, Wimble. I mean, Anthony Pole, I mean, like Proust. I mean, it's very interesting. The chapters gone forever, don't they? Though? They do. You've got, I think it's. it makes me realise how, as a woman in 2023 with a smartphone, Anthony Pole was writing at a time when one's attention span was better. And it makes me realise how much I need to work on mine to have that focus. You're, you're right, my darling. Cause, I mean, the chapters are about the first chapter is about fifty pages, which is an awful. And so, if you start reading it in bed at night, which I do at midnight, you're still reading till about two o'clock in the morning, which is not very good for one, wasn't? But he is. But Proust is wonderful too. I'm in love with Proust too. Have you? And have you read them all? Yes, 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 yes. Ages ago, I have ages ago. But but I, I quoted it the other day. But when when the Duke of Gaumont is his, when he, he writes to people, gets invitations, he writes, "Can't come, lighter follow." <laughs> 
Isn't that perfect? That's brilliant. I love that. Can't come lighter follow. Which <laughs> <laughs> is wonderful, Proust. But, but I mean, Proust, I mean, you have to, if you started reading Proust in the evening, you're probably still reading at four o'clock in the morning because those chapters are so long. So I don't know how they get away with it. And are you someone who, if you start reading late at night, do you find it very difficult? You won't sort of say, right, I'm going to, to sleep. You're, you're still there hours later, gripped by the book. I, I, I spend an awful lot of night sleep, but I liked them. When my darling husband, Leo, was alive, you see, it was a bit, I had to turn off the light because, you know, because he wanted to go to sleep. But then, then I'd sort of pull the sheets up between us and read by my sheets. <laughs> I love that. But Dale, does Dale read? Does he read, read, read a lot? He's a big... We both read in bed in the morning, which is very decadent. If I wake up and I can't go back to sleep, I read on my Kindle, so which is hopefully less kind of... A bit less disturbing because I have the um, I have like the dark screen, but it's still poss- I think he possibly wakes up a bit when I do. This, this is an amazing book, Insatiable, isn't it? <gasps> have you read it? Yes, I'm flipping through it at the moment. And I have read it. It's, 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 it's very good. It's very good, but it's 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 lively, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> lively is a word for. I love dedications for Dale. My happy beginning, isn't that lovely? He really is. You're Mrs. Dale, aren't you? So you could do a Mrs. Dale's diary, couldn't you? Oh, that would be great fun. I should definitely do that. I wanted to ask about Leo and the books that you read together. Whether there were any books that you kind of introduced him to, and any books that he introduced you to that you both loved, or any books that you really disagreed on. Well, no, the point is, Leo was a wonderful publisher, but he published military history, and and um, so 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 um, I, I I couldn't read military history. He wrote wonderful history of the British cavalry by the Marquis of Anglesey, and I, re- I, I, I rather fancied the Marquis of Anglesey, so I read that one. But 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 I, awful, I felt so guilty because I didn't really read the books he published because they were, although they were absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's a library next door, which is just Leo's books, still there, you know, the books he published. And, and I don't think, I, I think, I think he, I think he read Riders and I think it finished him off really. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, didn't read, I didn't, didn't read any, I didn't read, he didn't read mine very much. It's rather awful being a married couple that don't read each other's books, isn't it? <laughs> But I think it's when you're both writers, and I think at the beginning, that's so exciting. Well, I wrote my Sunday Times pieces. He used to read those. He did. He always read those and said they were rubbish, or that was rubbish. And then I'd go upstairs and sulking, and I'd rewrite it, change about two sentences. I'd come downstairs again, and he'd say they're much improved. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really loved that book that uh, came out a couple of years ago, Between the Covers, the, the selection of your columns. And there's one that I think about where... You go to a makeup counter, and I can't remember the year, but it's they want to make you into, you know, they're like, you're going to be the face of 1983, and you're perfectly happy with your, you know, your makeup and your routine. They sort of send you out into the world like glittering blue eyeshadow. And that's something where I thought, that could be just change the dates, and that could be happening right now, that could be happening today, that's every time I go. <laughs> it's wonderful. Because, but I lo- lovely bit in Barbara Pym I was reading the other night, and... Um, it's Jane and Prudence, which is my favourite one. And Jane is a sort of, sort of vicar's wife, a very tactless vicar's wife, always says, and Prudence is the beauty who's always falling in and out of happy love affairs. And um, she comes down for a party, and, and, and Jane is absolutely amazed because Prudence has put green eyeshadow fleck, flecked with silver on her eyelids. <laughs> <laughs> she looks says, how off so she goes to this vicarage party and, and all the men get very excited and, and Jane wonders if she put green 
with speckled with silver on her eyelids, men would start looking at her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just makeup in the room. But 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 but, but, Jane, she, but Barbara Pim, all those writers, Barbara Pym and Nancy Mitford and Ian Delafield are all dazzlingly wonderful. And they all have, and I think, and I love this so much about your books I write so like women who love clothes but also feel a little bit frightened of them and I think we all think if only I had the dress then I would be be able to kind of be successful at the party or you know I wouldn't have that awkward kind of fidgety thing of things not quite sitting right you're very beautiful you must always have been looked at by people I've seen lots of photographs. I see also, I've got a photograph of you here. I'm sorry I'm talking about you. No one talks about podcast. But there's a picture of you on, on, on Insatiable. You've got blonde hair. I, I, to be honest, I've still got blonde hair. This is just uh, terrible lighting in this room. It's sort of, it's a dark blonde. Yeah, I mean, you look just as pretty there as you do now. But it's definitely bl- blonde there, isn't it? <laughs> the hair's looking a bit wintry in the winter. Um, I saw the most phenomenal picture of you. I think it's the BBC Culture article that was... Um, you're kind of, I don't you're lying on a sofa in a fabulous black dress. Wonderful, I love that photograph. It's stunning. It's the most glamorous thing I've ever seen. Whenever I wear like a sort of an all-in-one, I just, I want to be a Jilly Cooper heroine in a flying suit. And I think of Fenella in her shark skin and when she's jumping and it splits. <laughs> it's so scandalous and so thrilling. I like Fenella, I love it. But you see, that's the thing, jumpsuits... And they come up right up to your neck, don't they? And so it's terribly difficult for a man to get at a girl in a jumpsuit, isn't it? I remember Madeline Pole. I went to I went to to to, 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 to dinner with her then once, and I wore a mini very short miniskirt. And 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 um, one of the women said, "Julie, I do think you've got to the age now where you ought to wear a slightly longer skirt." <laughs> she was right. And I think again, that's something. I've always thought you've written so brilliantly and beautifully that tension between women. And it's so funny, isn't it? And I think so true to life. And I think it comes up a lot in Barbara Pym as well. And even Nancy Mitford, the sort of, those sort of very controlling bitchy put downs that it's quite easy to, you know, if you're feeling insecure, you make someone else feel a bit insecure. I'm reading uh, The Chiffon Trenches, which is the memoir of Andre Leon Talley, who is a Vogue editor and that is so gossipy and so thrilling and so fun. And my favourite story is, uh, I think it was in the 70s, um, Anna Piaggi, who was a Vogue sort of, kind of um, a knit girl, I suppose, and I think maybe an editor of Vogue Italy or sort of a, a model or a muse. She was so determined to outdo everyone with her outfits that she came to this ball with a basket of Ted pigeons on her head. <laughs> And Andre Leon Talley said he was sat next to her and the smell, like there was a point in the evening where it obviously got a little bit warm and the pigeons turned and he was kind of edging further and further away <laughs> to deal with this pigeon stench. And I was thinking that something that's both the most trivial thing and the most important thing, the way people present themselves and, you know, go in for the full theatricality of it all. I think it, it's what makes books so much fun. It does also. Sort of, I always remember Leo too. Sort of havoc makers that he, he fancied, and you'd meet them sort of party. And you'd say, "Oh, I think she's gone off a little bit." No, no, I think she looks fine. They'd say, you know, Leo would say it's fine. And so women who are sexy, they're attractive, carry their sex appeal sort of right down to the end, don't they? Was oh, that lovely words with her? An old age, something in Brighton, lovely as a Graham Brighton, lovely as a Lapland night. Isn't that lovely? Oh, that's beautiful. Where's that from? 
Wordsworth, I think. Wordsworth. That's Wordsworth. Oh. Something grey and bright. No, it's silver and white. Silver and bright and lovely as a Lapland night. That's not being an old age, being lovely as a Lapland night. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We'll be back to Jilly soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen The Chiffon Trenches by Andre Leontelli. This is a memoir that has it all. It's a gossipy, gorgeously written, heartbreaking, infuriating, funny and fabulous book. It's the inspiring story of a black man soaring and excelling in an industry that's suffocated by entrenched racism. It's a book about tenderness and friendship. And it's a confetti cannon camp love letter to the theatricality of fashion. The Chiffon Trenches is published by Fourth Estate and out now. Now, back to Jilly. But actually, at the moment, I, this is a brilliant book I've just read, which I bought by, by, by a man called Tom Harding, and it's called The Maverick. Oh, I don't know that. Tell me about that. That's great. Absolutely brilliant. It's, it's a biography of George Weidenfeld. And George Weidenfeld was, was a... The publisher? A publisher, yes, that's right. And he, he, was, he was a, uh, came over from Germany during the... He was Jewish, came, so got, got out of Germany during the war, came to England and started a publishing firm. And he was absolutely brilliant. He um, managed to sort of con money out of lots of people to start his firm, but he was brilliant at wooing authors. He published Lolita, and he published Mary McCarthy, and he published Simon oh, de Beauvoir, all sorts of people. But he was he was he was very 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 charming. And had four wives, <laughs> but it's, it's called the Maverick, and, it's, and it's, everybody was reading it. You would love it because it's all about the excitement of each chapter. Each chapter is so exciting, and every time you were publishing Lolita, and eventually he wanted to publish um, Mick Jagger, but Mick Jagger, all the ghostwriters fell out with Mick Jagger, and so it never got published. <laughs> oh, this sounds wonderful fun. It's publishing. Anybody who likes books will absolutely adore this book. I think I read this year for the first time, Stet by Diana Athill. She was, she was older, Deutsches. Yeah. And it's a real, I don't know if you've read it, but it's another really good, gossipy, interesting publishing book. And she talks about um, being a friend and publisher of Jean Reese, which was, I think, I think a challenge for everyone involved. Wild Sargasso Sea. That was her. And gosh, what's that? Good Morning Midnight. Is my own Voyage in the Dark. A Voyage in the Dark. And that, that, was, that was her, Jean Reese. Yes. Herons who use their beauty and herons who are quite prickly. And it's that sort of really, really good 
dark comedies about they feel I think they've got more and more sort of contemporary feeling as time has gone on and we had the writer Catherine May on this podcast and Catherine May talked about being an autistic woman and saying you can't diagnose people with autism from the past but she thinks she reads Jean Rhys books and sees those heroines and thinks I think they were autistic women too they definitely had that neurodivergence yes because it's all those things and also, this is this is another one which which, which that's your lovely book just just jill sims have you read jill sims oh i don't know jill sims tell me about her she, well she writes books called why mummy drinks and why mummy why mum the last one's called why mummy drinks at christmas and it's hysterical and it's really about coping with sort of awful you know christmas you have, people you need don't have to see all those you, you sort of feel you ought to see don't you and then she's terribly upset because her, the heroine put her, her two teenage, late teenage children suddenly want to go and stay with their boyfriends' families rather than her, and 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 then then sort of off off. I mean, all the relationships descending on you, and all the awful neighbours. And I, I do think Christmas is quite difficult, don't you? It really is, and as you say, every single year we get to this point and we're just exhausted, aren't we? You've you know published a, a brilliant book to great acclaim. You have this very intense period of you know sort of publicity and all the the grind of publishing you know you sort of we're we're staggering we run out of energy for the year in about october november and then we're like but i should be in a sequin shift dress making a panettone from scratch of three tiers i love your book how to survive christmas that was yes that was that was that's a long time ago that was very 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 I can't remember anything about that book. I, I, I remember I wrote it. Awful thing one doesn't remember. I can't even remember how to stay married very much either. One just forgets what because there's so much in your brain. Uh, darling Penelope Keith came to see me once. I said, Penny, I know I've got dementia. I know I have. No, darling, no, your brain's full. You write these huge books with all these characters. You know all these people. Your brain's full, don't worry. Not, no, don't worry, your brain's full. Was that sweet? I think, and I think he's absolutely right. And I also think as well that once your your books, you know, your words are out there and published, you don't need to keep them in your head because there is a record they're there somewhere. But I must ask you, um, because I long to talk about it, about um, rivals being on television, which I think millions of us are very, very excited about the the upcoming adaptation. How are you feeling about seeing it again? Is it all coming back to you? It's being made by Disney. Oh, absolute heaven. God, they're lovely. And, 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 and so I'm not allowed to talk about it, <laughs> oh. which is very sad. I mean, I can just say this. It, it, it's absolutely marvellous. I've seen, I've seen a lot of the, most of the first episode, I mean, the first half, and, it, and the first the whole thing, and it's just miraculous. The casting is so brilliant. Danny Dyer as Freddie, I think, is perfect that was the one where i thought that's absolutely absolutely right i must be good i'd love and love and love to talk about it, but it's t- terribly exciting and 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 um and, and they are all gorgeous and david tennant's gorgeous and aiden turner's gorgeous and Ali they're, they're lovely it's terribly exciting and they all like each other which is so nice too oh i'm so happy to hear it i won't get you in trouble talking about rivals on tv but i was just thinking about the rivals the book and love stories and it reminded me a lot, and I think this is very, very sexy, in Emma, where Knightley tells her off for being mean to Miss Bates. Yes, it's brilliant, that, isn't it? Isn't Knightley lovely? I, I, think, he's, I think I'd think i much rather be married to Knightley than Darcy, wouldn't you? Oh, same. Because Knightley's fun as well. I think that Darcy, I'm sure, you hope. 
I would quite like to read. I know there have been sequels and things. When Mrs. Bennett, having loathed Darcy, suddenly discovers he's going to marry Lizzie and says, Oh, she goes absolutely berserk <laughs> and says, No, no, gosh, no, how could, could I? Of course, Mr. Darcy, I'm so excited. What's his favourite food and things like that? We must have him over. And it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It really is. I suppose that's what I do love about Mrs. Bennett is her total, total lack of self-awareness. And I suspect that, you know, you and I are both always, you know, anxious about being sort of consistent and, you know, having integrity and to be untroubled by that, <laughs> to just do this amazing volte facie. And... It was, I tell you what was fun, um, when I used to, um, I always read poetry and I always used to, when I was a newspaper doing a story, I used to take a book of poetry with me. I always used to write, you know, details of the story in the inside pages of the poetry book. And there was a wonderful time when um, I, I wrote, uh, Alden wrote a marvellous book about Rambo and um, Rambo and um, Fairlane. It was an Alden's book. And on this thing, yeah, I've written, I found it the other day. Said, I was, this man saying, I was proceeding along, the, I was getting it right, I was proceeding along the pathway when I, I met a man sitting in a ditch. And he said to me, I am Humpty Dumpty. And you cannot put me together again. Like before, I, I, I formed the opinion he was drunk. And <laughs> 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 all over my early books, poetry books, these are ridiculous stories are written down. <laughs> Things like that. I did, but but, but tackle was, was was fun to write. The football footballers were fun. I liked them. Tony Adams is wonderful. Oh, he's lovely. He's very shy. But he's lovely. He came to a party of ours and everybody talked to him because they loved him so much. And he's just a very good listener, like you. <laughs> I try. If I can listen like Tony Adams, that would be, be the dream. Um, was there anything you learned about football that surprised you? Anything you sort of, you didn't expect? I, I was quite shocked. Um, I was quite shocked at the way um, a, a team will um, pretend a p- player, if he's selected for England... He, and they've got a big Premier League match three days later, um, they will pretend that he's ill. I mean, the, the medical men will come and say his leg's too bad to play. And then so he can't go on the international friendly somewhere to Istanbul or anything like that. But he'll recover dramatically for a pre- Premier League match two days later. I thought that was, I was quite, quite surprised by that. But they, 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 they have very tough... They get weighed every day. Can you imagine that? Oh, I wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> Embarrassing. I mean, we had a really good dinner, and you go and they say and they tick your and, and they can't, they can't go out, they can't have sex before, um, you know they can't. Mind you, it's in tackle that they can't. They, they're not supposed to have too much sex the night before a game. And so some man was <laughs> grinning away like mad. Other person says, "Have you seen an ugly car of a white?" He must be very pleased. <laughs> and I'm just trying to think what else did I think was surprising about it. I I I I. I they they do they 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 a lot of money, but God, they give so much pleasure, don't they? Too. I mean, people people have such boring lives these days, and people are very depressed about the country. And football at least cheers them up, or depresses them for a week, and then cheers them up again. And I think it brings a lot of happiness. Football. I think that's a good thing. It's so true. I think that people are so invested in it. Did you ever read uh, Fever Pitch? Yes, Nicholas Hornby. Yeah. Very, very good. I really loved the way he talked about, I suppose, the philosophy of football and what it is to have that, you know, your your chosen representatives out there. And you have no control over them, but you almost feel as though you're watching your family and that's how much you're rooting for them. 
Yes, awful. And also you get, um, I mean, you, you can be like, like Grealish at the moment, who I, one I'm fond of, and Grealish suddenly, somebody's, he plays for Manchester City, and somebody very good come into the side, and he suddenly maybe sort of, you, I mean, you can be king of the side, and then you can be sacked about a week later. And so, you know, it's, it, it's very, very tough. And also, when 30, the, I mean, 30, unless you're going to become a manager, you, then you, you're suddenly absolutely got, got no life after 30, have you? And especially when you start so young, so young, and you've not really ever had a chance to kind of develop a life outside it, I suppose. And that's, you know, everyone you know and all of your friends. And that I still love, you know, the story about, um, ooh, I don't know which Olympics it was. Where in the, the Olympic Village, I think Tinder and Grinder, the phone dating app, they both broke because it was full of these like horny young people who'd never really had the chance to date, to like mix outside their sport. They had been training pretty much since they were born and suddenly they were unchaperoned in the village and allowed to meet each other and they just went mad. <laughs> That's nice. No, I think I think they, 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 it's a pity they can't they can't have a bit more fun. I think, but, but they probably do have. They have the most amazing wives, don't they? All these footballers. I must say, I, if for man's football, honestly, if a man, somebody puts a hand on a man's thigh, uh, uh, opposition thigh, they just crumple to the floor and roll around groaning and what's in. I mean, I have Paris in my story, and he teaches all the players how to act as though you've been hurt you know, when you're touched by anybody and they all clap around and go, oh, I'm so in pain, I'm so in pain and so on. And then, of course, the other planet gets done for a foul, you see. So the best act, most important thing in football is to be a good actor. That I loved that so much, Paris coming back from, um, I think it's Wicked, isn't it, where we first met Paris and delivering their media training and teaching the football. And of course, it's just so gorgeous to see feral and and bianca and sort of seeing bianca as a as a grown-up and you know seeing the family she's not very nice i don't like her very much in this book she's very spoiled isn't she and awful i mean lying in bed it's poor pat feral because feral is rupert campbell bianca's rupert campbell black as you know rupert campbell black's daughter and feral has to live in the house with them because bianca loves being at home and it's so easy and all the food's done for her in bed she she makes such a noise when she has an orgasm. Very embarrassing for Feral because he's only got two doors from his father-in-law and mother-in-law. <laughs> sorry, it's awful. Really talk, sorry. Did you know that Bianca was going to be quite so tricky, or did she just sort of when you when you met up with her again, did she start coming out that way? Because I suppose it's much more much more fun to write and read, isn't it? Someone who's a little bit spoiled and a bit, and also having had the the life she's had, I suppose, and, you know, gone to sort of the smart schools and being, you know, raised with everything. It's, you know, how could she not be spoiled? Well, I think she's, spo- she's terribly spoiled because Taggy's absolutely sweet, but Taggy's not a disciplinarian, is she? And no. Rupert, Rupert was always out, out, always out racing. And so Taggy was brought up by Bianca. And so she was, um, um, she, was she was spoiled. But I, do, I almost feel like we're discussing mutual friends, but, you know, Farrell's become such a fine young man. Lovely Farrell, adore him. Adore him. He's really... And is it uh, Dolph I was thinking of in tackle? I love Dolphy. Don't you love Dolphy? Little Dolphy is one of his players. No, I love Uh, Dolphy. Dolphy's Dolphy's uh, children's home and he longs for a family and he longs for a a birthday. There's so many children in children's homes now, Daisy, and they're all in children's homes and and they don't... um, It takes so long to adopt these days. It takes about four years to adopt these days. So they're stuck there, which is so sad. It is. It's desperately, desperately sad. And I think that 
you know what you do is to you know make make these stories human and I mean we shouldn't need reminding that they matter but we do matter it's when we can hear a statistic and feel sad and feel as though something must be done but then a story even if it's a fictional story it's based on something real and we hold that in our heart and we you know think it's that I think that's the truly astonishing you know gift that writers like you give us which is to invite us to to empathize you know with the world and see the best and worst of humans but it is you see things in a children's home um, at the end of it you, you get thrown out on the world at 16 you haven't got a family you haven't, i mean you're not looked after you i mean you're just out in the world and so you have to sort of look after yourself which is terrifying for them so I, I'm, I'm very keen. I want to be God and change, change that. So everybody, everybody has a fat, nice family and a nice dog. Have you got a dog? Not yet. We dream of having a dog um, one day. But I would love to ask you about talking about families, favourite fictional families, if there are any fictional families that you ever fantasised about living with, or also um, fictional pets, because, you know, you're... We love the, the animals in, in your books. I, st- I still miss Badger. Badger, yes, Badger. He loved Badger, didn't he? He did love Badger. I'm just trying to think what families I like to live with. Gosh, that's a lovely question. I don't know, but it's, it's all, all the books I love, like like um, Provincial Lady, I mean, I think pretty wild, masses and masses of children. And, and Barbara Pym, I don't think I'd like to live in her family, either with that sort of bossy, tactless vicar's wife. Have you read a book that I read in lockdown and I loved so much, and I talk a lot about on the podcast, The Cazalet Chronicles? I don't know, I think, sometimes I think I'd love to live with the Cazalets, and sometimes not. <laughs> the ca- is it C-A-Z-E-L-E-T? Yes, Elizabeth Jane Howard. Oh, God, yes, yes, yes. Oh, she was so sad, my darling Leo. It was at the year party. Hatchard's also the year party where all the top authors go to their, their about 100 of them. And she came up to him, Leo, after I got my Sunday Times caller, and said, Oh, Leo, how are you enjoying being Mr. Jilly Cooper? Isn't that <laughs> awful, my poor darling husband, who's so macho and so sort of, you know, used to be. Cricket captain at school, rugger captain, star of the thing, and suddenly being called Mr. Jilly Cooper. Wasn't that cruel? Oh, oh, she's a good writer, though. She's a good writer. I'll so sad to hear. I, I hope, I hope, it, I want to believe it's a, it was meant to be a joke and it didn't land. But but then mar- being married to Kingsley Amos, surely she would have. Yes, Kingsley, yes, exactly. Yes, Kingsley. Kingsley was wonderful. Funny, funny, funny man. Lovely man. Martin was fun too. Did you did you spend much time with Kingsley and Martin? Yes, I did. I, I knew Martin quite well. Both of them. I mean, yes, they, they were lovely. Um, they were fun and and and, and beautiful writers, both of them, weren't they? Kingsley's a brilliant writer. And so was Elizabeth Jane Hard. No, no, I think I think the thing is that she suddenly thought this sort of silly Sunday Times person suddenly got an amazing column on Sunday Times. I think they were, my Sunday Times column was quite irritating, so I think people must have been... And the world was divided and people thought I was such a bitch. They, they, my first column, they, they filled the newspaper, my pet column in the newspaper, with letters saying how awful I was. <laughs> So I went to see Harry Evans and said, we don't have to write this week, darling, we'll fill, fill the page with letters saying how awful you are. <laughs> I think there are so many examples in history, aren't there, of, you know, wonderful, beloved things. Like, who would have known that, you know, years later, there would be enough love for those columns? Like, we, we must, you know, do, we must do books, we must have a, a best of. But someone t- gave me some writing advice. And it came from Amos Pear or Amos Fee, and I can't remember which one, but um, the best 
creative writing exercise is to write a sad wedding or a funny funeral, which I really loved. Oh, a sad wedding or a funny funeral. Yes, funny funeral would be great, wouldn't it? Well, I've started my next novel with a funny funeral, so I was delighted to hear that. Have you started it? Have you finished it? Well, I've just had an email um, from my editor saying, it's not quite finished, and I feel that's like, oh, come on, I thought it was finished, but it, it's nearly finished. Oh, don't. Just tell them to go away. <laughs> It's awful. I had, I had 12 months or something. I had to rewrite Tackle for about 12 months. I got very, very cross and I said no. I said I did say no an awful lot, actually. I said, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. I, I rewrite myself about 15 times. But once I've handed it, I don't want to rewrite anymore, do you? It's, it's a bit like cooking a very elaborate dinner and sometimes you don't then want to eat the dinner. You're so immersed in it and you've experienced it on so many levels that... <laughs> Going back in again, you think, oof. So, and I could talk to you for the rest of 2023. Um, you're a very good interviewer, but, darling. You're a very, very good well, interviewer. You are. You're, you're a joy to interview, and it, it felt like a conversation. Before we go, um, I will read Middlemarch. You love it. Another very, very good book. It's by a man called Ian Herbert. It's called Tinseltown. And it's about Wrexham. Sold on the title. It's about Wrexham. But, but it's about the, Wrexham, Wrexham, the city of Wrexham. And, and how these wonderful Hollywood men came over and took it over. But the thing is, what is so brilliant, it's all about the town and the supporters and how they kept this club, which was really fading and fading and failing. They kept it going. And, and, and this love affair between these gorgeous um, two American Hollywood stars and the people of Wrexham. And it's all the characters leaped to life. It's a lovely book. So uh, it's a brilliant. Anybody wants to give a book for Christmas to people who like football or don't like football, because at the end of this book, they will like football. But have you seen them on, on TV? Yes, they're gorgeous, aren't they? So I'm so excited to hear there's a book as well. That sounds wonderful. It's a, he's a very, he's a, Ian Herbert, he writes for the mail, he's a very, very good writer. It's a beautiful book. Dilly, this really has been a dream come true. Will you, will you come and bring Dale to see me one day? I would love that very, very much. We will, and thank you. And, and, the, and as I said, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read How to Be Grown Up, which I'm a bit late for me, actually. <laughs> well, this, to give a massive spoiler, that How to Be a Grown Up, you never are, really. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, that's, just, that's brilliant that the orange one. I have two tangerines for breakfast, and that's a brilliant jacket with a tangerine. It's an orange, isn't it? Not tangerine. It's an orange or a tangerine. I should say, I think it's an orange. I should say the cover of Insatiable, designed by an amazing, amazing woman called Becky Guyat, who has designed all of my book covers, and I think she's so talented, and I always want to shout about how brilliant she is. But, you know, of course... You were the, the queen of the iconic cover. Oh, with um, when rivals return. I know. I remember the fuss about um, the the hand on the bottom in Riders, um, and I was wondering whether for I'm assuming there's going to be a re-release of, of Rivals. I know you can't possibly comment, but I'm hoping that we get a nice, sexy Rivals cover to herald its return. Well, I hope so. Yes. I, I, mean, I, I hope so. I, I quite, would quite like the rivals cover, but but um, the, the, the tackle cover with that sort of red 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 card being shoved down the trousers is quite good too. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic! I will def. I will be saying this um, at the beginning at the end of the podcast. But tackle makes a fabulous Christmas present. It's so much fun. It's the sort of book that you'll. I think that I mean I'm just think you know millions of people have read it already, but I think people will be sneaking off. 
and those point, those sticky moments on Christmas Day where everyone's getting a little bit fed up of each other. It'll be running off to have another. Or people will be, you know, leaving it in the loo and having a quick page, then another page, and then. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, Dilly, like I said, I can't thank you enough for making the time to do this. It's been a, a delight. It was such a good interview, and I, I'm so, I was really scared, but you were lovely. Oh, I'm so happy, and I'm so sad that you were scared. But you know, I think it's you know we know each other, and it's a, a conversation and a chat, and also. I've been dreaming of this. We've been making this podcast for about five years and I've been hoping to have this conversation for that long, probably longer. So this is really is a dream come true for me and for Dale. A lot of work for you to do. I mean, a lot of work beforehand you have to do, don't you? I think of all the guests we've ever had, I've never been as familiar with anyone else's canon as I have yours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I was nervous and then I thought, oh no, I could be really confident about this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've just found that significant sorry my dear lady crazy I've only ever read one book in my life and that was White Fang it's frightfully good so I never bothered to read another one <laughs> it's good isn't it it's one of my favourite lines okay my darling lots of love see you soon huge thanks to Jilly Tackle is out now and it's so much fun It's a romp, it's a riot, and it will make you feel warm and joyful at a time when that's exactly what we need from our reading. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and created by Dale Shaw and me, Daisy Buchanan. You can find us and followers on social media at whybooked and you can find a list of all the books Jilly mentioned at acast.com slash booked and shop a selection on our page at bookshop.org. Also, we love five-star reviews from listeners. It helps people to find us and their new favourite books. Huge thanks to everyone who has left us a lovely review. We really, really appreciate it. And if you've been listening for a while and you haven't done it yet, now might be the time. Thank you so much. This episode marks the end of our series. We're going to take a little Christmas break. Producer Dale has a brand new Viz annual to read, but we'll be back in your ears in 2024 with yet more incredible guests. In the meantime, feel free to plunder our archives and listen to some old favourites like Susie Dent, Nick Hornby and Marion Keys. Finally, I leave you with this from Jilly herself. We all need the pipe dream of writing the great novel, or winning the pools, or becoming managing directors and kicking all our colleagues in the teeth. The world is deep and dark and full of tigers, and we need those shimmering white castles in the air to creep into when life gets unbearable. Have a wonderful Christmas. See you soon.